Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. The following podcast is part 69 in the series Contending for the Faith. This is the morning service of Sunday the 26th of February 2012, entitled The Glorious Church of Jesus Christ, and the Bible reading is taken from Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 to 21. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. Open your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 16 this morning. As you're turning there, it's been a while since we left our series on contending for the faith back to the end of August. And of course, we went away in September for four months. And since returning, we've just had a few weeks to look at a few things before the conference, before coming back to here. I think you'll find this is number 69 in our series on contending for the faith. And uh, as we look at some of the fundamentals of that faith, uh, we move today God willing, my hope today is just to kind of give a quick overview. I'm going to say a lot of things that uh, uh, that will bear more explanation that we'll look at over the next couple of three weeks, uh, but it's to kind of to get an overview and then to come back and to look at some of those things specifically. Uh, but we want to take for our scripture reading from the uh, Gospel of Matthew chapter 16, and we will begin reading there in verse 13, and I'm trying to separate my pages in this new Bible before I start reading. Matthew chapter 16, beginning in verse 13, I invite you to stand with me to honor the reading of God's Word, beginning in Matthew 16 and verse 13. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, He asked His disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I the Son of Man, am. They said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say unto thee, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then charged he his disciples that they should tell no man that he was Jesus the Christ. From that time forth began, began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go unto Jerusalem, suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes, be killed, be raised again the third day. Father, we thank you again for this blessed time that we have together this morning. We thank you, Lord, that as we gather here today that we can have confidence of knowing that you are here in our midst. Thank you that we can have confidence in knowing that the word that is before us is your word that you have given to us and preserved for us. I pray now that as we look into these scriptures today, I pray that you would please speak to our hearts, Lord. Give us that which would uh, take and, and, and speak not only to our minds but our hearts and help us, Lord, that as we leave this day place today that we could know with absolute certainty that it's you that has spoken to us and that we have responded. 
in the necessary way. For it's in Christ's name we do pray. Amen and amen. So as we move to this another of what certainly as we look at some of the things concerning the church, as with the many other things that we have looked at over the past couple of years, there are some things that I would say to you that concerning the church that are fundamental to the faith that you and I hold dear and that we are to be contending for. There are other things that though they may not be fundamental and foundational to that very faith, but they would be very important to us as a local group of believers. Our thought, if you would, today is the glorious church of Jesus Christ. Now, it may seem almost oversimplified from the standpoint that if I ask you, what's a church? I mean, everybody knows what a church is, don't they? Even all those lost people out there, they, they drive up and down the road all the time, and they all know what a church is. They pass one place, and they say, there's a church, and there's a church, and there's a church. Maybe it would actually be more correct if rather than asking, what is the church, if we ask, who is the church? Who is the church? Well, some know that as well, of course. Uh, you know, we may think it's a very simple answer, but of course, you would have all kinds of different groups. Catholics think they're the church. The Greek Orthodox think they're the church. The Protestants, the Jews, the Mormons, the JWs, yes, and even some of the Baptists as well, they think they are the church and they are the ones that uh, one day we'll receive all of those promises. It can be confusing. Everybody says that's a church and that's a church. And everybody says we're the church, we're the church, we're the true church. Maybe we need to go back and ask another question. Well, if we're so confused about what it is and who it is, where did it come from? Where did we get this thing that we call the church. How did it get its beginning? What's the very foundation of it? What difference does it make to you and I? Is it sufficient just to know that something or somebody is the church, or is it something that we must ask ourselves, am I a part of that church? And if not, how do I become a part of that church? Some would even ask, can we be sure that the true church still exists? Because as we begin to look at where it began and who that church really is, some would think that in the centuries of the past couple of thousand years that man has contaminated it so much that to call anything the true church now would be false, especially if so many are claiming to be it. And if they're all different, they can't be the same. What should we look for in a church? As you and I, is, is it really important? Is it just a matter of, you know, okay, we figured out where one's at, so we go there. Isn't that all that really matters? It's just that we go to church. And how important is it? To belong to a church, to be part of a church, to be part of that in does it really matter which one, as long as we're part of it? 
These are just some of the questions that we hope to answer over these next few weeks. And I've entitled this message, The Glorious Church of Jesus Christ, because, folks, I want to tell you something. Just like most things in the Word of God, when I begin to look to God, not to all of men's ideas, because as we've seen already in just a few moments, there's plenty of men's ideas out there. But as you begin to look to the Word of God, and you take what God says, I call it the glorious church of Jesus Christ because it is exciting. All of these things, as we find the answers to them, they are exciting in God's Word, and they ought to be exciting to us as believers. It ought to be something that when we grasp what it is, where it is, how to be part of it, and all these things, I'm telling you, we ought to be willing to fight for it. We ought to be willing, if necessary, to lay down and die for it because that's what the Bible will teach us that Jesus Christ was willing to do, to die for his church. So as we look there today, I guess that one important thing that we must look at is, okay, how do we define it? Well, that's going to take a whole lot of explanation, but I want to give you just a, a rough definition to start with. The word ecclesia appears in the New Testament some 114 times. Now, even with that, there begins to be some discrepancies which we'll look at as to what that is pointing to and talking of, but we'll look at that. 114 times that it appears in the Word of God. Now, I find this interesting. You know, as we look there, this passage that we read this morning in Matthew chapter 16, here in verse 18 is the first time that that word appears in the Bible. Now, there is a corresponding word in the Hebrew that we find in the Old Testament, but this is the first time that what we're calling and talking about as the New Testament church that it appears in the New Testament. And then it appears two chapters later in chapter 18. Here, we find Jesus making this promise that we see before us, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will build my ecclesia, and the gates of hell will not prevail against that. In two chapters later, this church, this ecclesia that Jesus has promised to build, I will, still future tense at this point, I will build my church. He's promising to do it. Two chapters later, the next thing we find about the church is where he is instructing that church on what to do in a matter of church discipline. And there are those that are within that body that are not what that body ought to be. So it must be pretty important if Jesus is the one that's building it, and the next thing that he tells us about it in Scripture, is there is cause that if an individual is not right with God, not to be a part of that. Wow. So we begin to, to look at that. Now, that's the only two times that we find that word listed in all of the Gospels that we have in our Bibles. Now, if we... Look on just a little bit further. It's interesting that in the book of Acts, which is that transition period from Jesus Christ to his church, that we find it listed 23 times in the book of Acts alone. 
speaking of that ecclesia. And then, of course, it's even more interesting as we look at the Pauline epistles, the letters that the Apostle Paul writes. Of course, a good majority of those books carry the name of a church that he is writing to. And so often in his letters, he is either writing to a church, instructing a church, or instructing others about people in another church 46 times. 46 times in his letters alone that we find this term ecclesia. There's a few standalone times in the book of Hebrew and in the book of James. But as we begin to look, I just want you to grasp and understand that as we look into the Word of God, this is a term that is often spoke of and is spoken of by the Lord Jesus Christ with promises that he will build it, that the very gates of hell will not prevail against it. And there's something vitally important about that as we begin to look for what he requires. So we speak of the church. This is why I call it the glorious church of Jesus Christ. That's the word. Now, this term ecclesia, what does it really mean? Well, you know, it, it, it meant a lot of things originally, but basically in all instances, it spoke of a called out assembly, a called out assembly. I mean, originally the word could have been used for, uh, you know, political reasons and things like this, an assembly many times in a, in a town, a, a, a people that were called out that became an assembly of people that were called out for a specific purpose. It began to be known as, of course, a called out assembly of God's people. God's people, a called out assembly. It is very interesting, and I think this is important if you keep this in mind as we look to with many people that try to make the church of less significance than it ought to be. Never, anywhere, will you find the term that is translated church in our Bibles, never, anywhere, does it speak of one individual. It is an assembly, a called out assembly. No specific number, but it's at least more than one that is assembled together. Never does an individual or is an individual called by that name. And never is the place called by that name. It's not the place that is the ecclesia. It's not an individual that is the ecclesia. But it is a group of people that are called together that makes up this thing called the ecclesia. Now, again, you will find against Bible commentators, and some of them are a lot smarter than me, so I just quit trying to figure out what all of them mean and just try to look to the Bible. But you'll find out of that 114 times that this term ecclesia is mentioned in the Word of God. Many today, I say this because we'll be looking at the fact that many today would put little importance upon the local assembly and put greater importance upon a worldwide universal assembly. May I say to you, the Bible speaks of both. Now, there is some confusion. Out of that 114 verses, I would say to you this, that I think that you can count with absolute certainty that over 100 of those, minimum, are speaking of a local assembly. There are some passages that, you know, around 10 or so that many would think is speaking of 
a greater universal body. There's some that some aren't sure which one is speaking to. May I say this? In actual fact, the truths apply. But the important thing to recognize is this, is that I think that you will find that even amongst others of our own church type, there would be differences. Some wish that why didn't they just call one of them the church and one of them something else? Why did they, why did they use the same word to talk about two different bodies? Well, may I say to you that it is never an ecclesia until it is called out together. The simple truth is there is only one church on earth right now. That is the local assembly. There is a church, if you would, that is in prospect that will be called out for the first time together at the rapture. Now, I hope you're part of that one. You see, I don't know. I can, I can take you. I've got a list of everybody that's a member of Bethel Free Baptist Church. I can tell you who our members are, who belongs to this group. There's only one that knows who belongs to that church. You know, some people call it the church universal. I tend to just call them the church with a capital C or the church with a little c. <laughs> there are assemblies. And the simple truth is, is that most of us, at least in churches that would be of like faith as ourselves, we don't really disagree on how it works because there is no authority given to any universal church at this time. The only church that we know is the local church. They are both referred to in Scripture as the body of Christ. The simple truth is there is one day when only those who are truly, genuinely born again, washed in the blood, baptized in the Holy Spirit, those that have been brought into that body that will once and for all be together when we are called out of here at the rapture. But right now, we have the local assembly. That is the visible body of Christ on this earth. And of course, many people mean different things by different terms, and that's why so many times these terms get misused. Universal church would get a lot of people's hair standing straight up, while others mean something totally different by it. And the truth is, as we look at Scripture, I hope that you can begin to grasp just what it is that we're talking about, what the church is, and what is foundational and fundamental of that. So we see a definition. May I just say this as we look through this, that it's also important to see the design. Who designed it? Well, what was it that our Bible said there in, in, in verse eight, 18? It was Jesus that spoke and said, I say unto thee also that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jesus said, I will build my church. You see, the designer is Jesus Christ. We need to keep that in mind. It's not man's. It's not for somebody here upon this earth, regardless of what tag or title that they may carry, and we could go through a whole list of them. They are not the designer of the church. 
They do not have the right to change the church. Jesus is the one that is building his church. And notice that it is a durable church. He designed it durable. He said in verse 18, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He's building his church and nothing, nothing can stop him and nothing can destroy it. He goes on to explain to us right there in, in verse 21. He says, from that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. That's what had to happen for him to do what he was doing. He couldn't build his church until he had to go to Jerusalem. He had to die on that cross. He had to shed his blood. He had to pay that atonement. He had to rise the third day victorious over all of it. We find if you look into your Bibles to the book of Ephesians chapter 2, let's just read a couple of verses there beginning, beginning in verse 19. Jesus said, now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. Now let's get a picture here of what Jesus is showing us. He's the designer. As he designed it, the first part of it, he says very clearly, Jesus Christ himself, the designer, he is that first, that chief cornerstone that went into this ecclesia. We find that secondly, if anybody knows anything, and I mean, you know, you don't have to be real smart to figure out if there's anything that's built out here, if it's not on a foundation, you're going to have problems real, real quick. This ecclesia, it is built with Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone and the 12 apostles that he chose being the foundation upon which everyone else is placed fitly joined together in this building of this ecclesia. So we find that Jesus is the chief cornerstone. The apostles are the foundation. Notice in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And notice what it says beginning in verse 12. Whereas the body is one and hath many members... And all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. Interesting. Now it's being compared to a body. The simple truth is, is that just as that term in itself, in that called out assembly, that it's never one, but it's a called out group of people. Suddenly the body itself, though we speak of one body, 
That one body has many members that make up that one body. And he's here, here, so we've got this picture of Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone, the apostles then being the foundation, and then the believers, whether Jew, Gentile, wherever they are, being placed into place as he would see fit into that body right down through the centuries. Is that talking of a church universal or a church local? Well, I believe both. <laughs> we get too focused on the universal when Folks, it's not, it's not going to be called out. That's a, that's a church that is in prospect. It's not being called out. Hopefully you'll be part of it right now. As we look at the local body, it's the same way. Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone. The apostles, the foundation. And then each and every believer being built upon that foundation into what he would have for us. We find that if you turn back just a few pages in your Bible to the book of Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, verse 3 and 4. Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we, would also, we also should walk in newness of life. You see, we are placed into that assembly, that ecclesia, that church universal by the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We use a like symbol. We are placed into the local assembly by baptism of water, which signifies that other baptism, the death, the burial, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, each with their own gifting, each with their own purpose, each fitting in there, each just as important to the working of the whole. So I want you to understand as we look at some of these things further that first of all, we need to define what it is that we're talking about and it's not those buildings out there. It's not those buildings that most people refer to as a church. We're talking about a called out assembly that belongs to God himself, to the Lord Jesus Christ, that's been designed by him, that is being built by him, that he himself is the chief cornerstone, that the apostles are the foundation upon which it is built, and that those then that are truly born again, a child of God that has been washed in the blood of the Lamb, that is part of that, becomes part of that body, part of that ecclesia that he is building. What's it all for? See, the definition and the design, I'll simply call it the duty. What's the church here for? Well, you'd think today that if you really looked around and if you got a lot of people to tell you, matter of fact, I wouldn't advise you to do it. It just, you don't need to mess up your mind any more than the world's already doing it. But if you were to go to the internet and you begin to look at even the aims and purposes of a lot of these things that call themselves churches today, and you find out what their main purpose is, to so many of them, it's somehow, it might be listed as entertainment. It might be listed as social good even. There's all kinds of things. and some of it bad and some of it good. But as we begin to look, is, is that what this is all about? Is, is, is that what defines a church? And is that what Jesus Christ himself, the designer, is that what he had in mind for the church? Well, may I remind you something? First of all and foremost, I guess that Christians have seemed to agree on 
some things right down through the centuries. And of course, one of them that goes right back to one of the basic tenets of Christianity in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 11. And I guess it's often referred to as the chief aim, the chief goal, the chief purpose of man and what he is here for. And most of Christianity through the centuries that is remotely orthodox would say that that is to glorify and enjoy God. <laughs> to glorify him above all else. That is our chief aim, to glorify him. In First Peter chapter 4 and in verse 11, the word of God says, If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. Folks, what does that mean? It means when words are coming out of our mouth, they ought to be coming out as if they were coming out of God's mouth. Is there that much of God in us that when we speak, it's the words of God that come forth from us? If any man speak, if any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as of the ability which God giveth. Now let me ask you, in much of Christendom and so-called churches today. Is this what seems to be coming forth? The words, are they the oracles of God? I say to you today that it is a shame in the day that we live that they seem more apt to try to excuse away God's word than to accept God's word. To come up with things that tell us that that's for another time and another culture rather than speaking the oracles of God as they're given. Are they ministering? Let him do it as of the ability which God giveth. Somehow, I don't think God would touch some of these things we used to say with a 10-foot pole that are being done in the name of Christianity and being done through so-called churches in this world. He says that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Everything that we're doing, I'm saying this, as a child of God and certainly as a group of believers in an assembly, that our chief aim is that in everything that we do, whether it's what we say, whether it's what we act out, what we perform, that in everything, he should be glorified. He should be glorified. And if that's not the case, then I'm not so sure that it should be part of what we are involved in. We find a very similar passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and in verse 31. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 31, whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. Everything from sitting down and feeding ourselves the simplest basic things in life, we should be doing it to the glory of God. So as we keep these things in mind, and I'm not going to go into a lot, let me just say this, that in everything that we do, I don't mean this to be mean. I really, really, really don't. We're not here to entertain anybody. Matter of fact, we love you. We want you to feel welcome and loved. 
but I'm not here to even be pleasing to you today. I don't have any desire to upset you, (laughs) but I'm here to please and glorify him. And I hope that's your purpose in being here, and therefore, together, that together, he can be glorified in what we do and how we do it and all that we do. Yes, I want lost people to feel invited and loved when they walk through those doors. But I pray to God they'll be convicted of their sins as well, that they won't just come in here and feel comfortable with life as it is and go on the same old path. That's not what we are here for. As we look these next weeks, one of the places that we'll be looking is the book of 2 Timothy. As we've set out our main aim is that we glorify God in all that we do. There are some purposes, and I've just started them with ease to hopefully help you remember them a little bit. But I find the duties of the church as laid out in 2 Timothy is this, evangelization, education, edification, and evaluation. And we'll be looking at some of those things, and that's something that ought to to be taking place. The winning of the lost should have a priority. The learning, the teaching, together the growing and maturing in, in God's Word, that's a priority. The building up, the encouraging, the the edifying one of another. That's what he tells us even when he simply gives us that that straightforward not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. It's for the edifying. And, of course, evaluation. That's probably the least favorite part. You see, we come together to evaluate ourselves and where we are with the Lord and what needs to be corrected in our lives so that we don't just leave here with some false hope of somehow having a better week this week than last week, some sense of elation because the preacher said something that really made me feel good about myself. I don't want to make anybody feel better. You know what I really hope is that when you leave here that this week you could be a bit more like Jesus than you were last week. And if you're here and you're not saved, that's the first step. That's the first step that you've got to take. And as Christians, you know, there's nothing going to bring us true joy true peace, true happiness outside of the truth. So we'll be looking at some of those things as we look at the duty, but I want to give you this because this is exciting, the destiny of the church, the destiny of the church. We say it begins somewhere. We know that Jesus promised he was going to do it. We'll be looking and trying to figure out with, with some of men's decisions, where did it start? Did it start during the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ? Did it start somewhere between there and Pentecost? Did it start on the day of Pentecost? Well, we'll be looking at some of those things. Simple truth is, when it started with him, where does it go and where does it end up? We know this, that if it began with him, there's no question. We know also that on the day of Pentecost, whatever else happened on the day of Pentecost, folks, that's when the Holy Spirit came down and that's when the church got its power. It was empowered. Without that Holy Spirit, they were powerless. There are a lot of different ideas. People today will look at church history. History is a funny thing. I love history. But boy, it sure is in the eyes of the beholder, doesn't it? (laughs) I told somebody the other day, I have a feeling that uh, if you had uh, Winston Churchill sit down and write a history of World War II and you had Adolf Hitler sit down and write a history of World War II, you'd probably get two pretty different pictures of the same event. 
Churches have their own ideas. I'm reminded of this because even recently when I was back in the U.S. of A., you know, I, I was shocked and I was told beforehand that I was going to be shocked about a certain individual uh, that was a very dear friend of mine and, 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 and a brother in Christ and, uh, uh, you know, again, had an impact in my life in a lot of different ways. And I saw him as such a witness. And yet, you know, when his son told me that for the last few years he had left the evangelical church that he was at, which happened to be a Pentecostal church, and go to the Catholic church, I couldn't believe it. But then a statement was made, which you know I didn't get into there because there seems to be these two views, either that on the one hand, people hate the Catholic church and everybody that's part of it, <laughs> that there's some kind of a uh, mandate for us to, uh, to destroy all those people. And the other one is, is that hey, we're all part of the same group. That's where we all came from originally anyway. Well, I've got news for you. We'll be looking at some of these things. Um, I don't believe we all came from the Catholic Church. I don't have anything against the people. Matter of fact, I want to see them saved. Are there some saved people there? There probably are, but it's not because of following the doctrines of the church. It's because of they've seen it in the Word of God. We need to pray just like the great reformers of bygone years, that they come to recognize the error and come out of that. But the simple truth as we look through these passages of Scripture that we want to look at kind of how we got to where we are. Because remember, Jesus, when he promised to build it, he's the one that said the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Is the true church still here? Yes, because Jesus promised it would be. It is. Should you be a part of it? You should, and I hope you are. The universal or the local? Well, I hope both, and we'll understand the significance of that. But as we look at these, and we look at where all people, all people, all believers, all that have truly been born again, will be part of that called out assembly when the trumpet sounds, Amen. But I also believe with all my heart, just as we look through the Old Testament, God has always had a people that he has used from individuals <clears throat> to calling out that a nation would be set aside, his chosen people that he worked through. He's still God of the whole world, but he worked through the nation of Israel. And I believe that we will see in the Word of God, folks, as we look there, I have no axe to grind. But I believe with all my heart as we look at the Word of God, you'll find the importance, the utmost importance, that you belong to this and are know that you're a part of that called-out assembly that will be called out from this earth when Jesus Christ comes back and calls us to meet him in the air. But I want you to recognize also, not because I say it, not because any denomination says it, not because any of man's books say it, but as we look at things through the Scripture, the importance of the local assembly. Jesus used the nation of Israel. I believe today he's using his church, and we can see that in Scripture. That's where he's working through. That's what he's using to reach the rest of the world. 
And it doesn't matter, he tells us. It doesn't matter anymore what race we come from. It doesn't make any difference where our background comes from. We can be Jew, Gentile, whatever. The simple truth is, is that we're all in one body in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that today is where he's doing his work. The final destination, well, we'll be looking at some of that. I'll just read you this passage in closing this morning. And I trust and pray that you can have certainty in knowing that if you're here today, that if that trumpet sounds before that we leave this place, that you're ready for it. Because I've got news for you. The church isn't always going to be here on earth. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, notice what the Bible says, beginning in verse 13. He said, but I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto, unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. There are other passages that we'll take about, but folks, I want you to know that's the ultimate destiny of the church. As a matter of fact, the church is so important that if you're not part of that church, you're not going to be going with us when that trumpet sounds. That's how vital. That's how important that it is. It's the church that's going to be called. There's only one way to be a part of that assembly on that day. And that's through total faith in Jesus Christ and his finished work. You see, if you want to be a part of this local assembly here, we're going to ask you point blank to your face. We're going to ask you if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Have you truly been saved? Have you truly been born again? Have you gone through this water baptism that signifies what Christ has done in your life? We're going to ask you all those things. We're going to hope that if you become a member of our church, that those things are true in your life. But today, the most important at all, Will you be part of that assembly? Because only you know that. You and Jesus, you and the Lord, you know where your heart is today. We're going to be looking at this thing called the church over the next few weeks. And I hope it'll be encouraging and exciting to you. But I hope it'll also be challenging. Because if you're not here today, you need to be a part of it. You can be a part of a lot of clubs, a lot of social things, and a lot of them do a lot of really good things in this world. And that's not a bad thing. But there's only one that's going out at the trumpet sound. That's the ecclesia, the glorious ecclesia of the Lord Jesus Christ, that glorious assembly, that glorious church that belongs to him, that he designed that he is the chief cornerstone that it's built upon, that he's the one that has given us our duties, and it's to him 
that we owe it all.